Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode... Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, a podcast dedicated to helping business owners and retirees reduce income taxes and shift the tax money they save into their own tax-free retirement accounts. Our sponsor is SavingYouTaxes.com, where a team of tax strategists and retirement designers work with people like you, helping them achieve a work-optional lifestyle. On today's broadcast, we're going to learn how to protect your nest egg from violent market turbulence and assure the safety of your retirement income. And now, here are our hosts, Jay Barry Watts and Eric Burleson. Well, welcome to the podcast today, Eric. Good to see you. Good morning. Great to see you. You're uh, back from a great adventure this weekend. We're recording this on Wednesday, and you didn't go on your great adventure? Actually, I I wasn't able to go. So Um, all weekend, I thought you were pheasant hunting in Kansas. It turns out that they have got the COVID. Oh, the pheasants have the COVID? Yes. Well, there you no, go. The the, ho- the family that uh, that we would be hunting with. Ah. So well, unfortunately, not was not able to make it. You know, last night my wife mentioned to me that uh, I think it was, um, I believe it was lions in some zoo somewhere had been diagnosed with the COVID. Uh, so it's a crazy world. I yeah. guess everybody gets it, their well, chance. Well, it's with the COVID. bats or whatever that was that had it. If they can get it, I I think. It would, it would appear that other animals can as well. Well, I'm sorry you didn't get to make your pheasant hunt because uh, <laughs> I thought about you while I was working on the farm this weekend and thought you were enjoying walking someone's farm, shooting beautiful birds, probably. I That would have been wonderful. Well, you didn't get a chance to do it, but you get to be here today. And this is the most exciting I place where we talk about anyway. taxes and retirement. Yes. Well, we don't talk on this podcast much about specific investment vehicles. And that's because there are thousands of options to choose from, and there are different applications with each of those options, depending on what a person's situation is. So it's really not conducive in a podcast type environment to talk about specific investment vehicles to any great degree. But today, we are going to dive into one type of vehicle in a generic and general sense that is very popular, and it's very interesting to people because it has some special features. The first feature is it guarantees your principal. How do you feel about that, Eric? Well, you can't say that very often about investments. Well, that's true. <laughs> you can't speak about guarantees and investments in the same uh, breath because they basically don't exist. But this is one exception. This does guarantee your principal. Secondly, it defers your income taxes. Well, and everybody loves delaying or deferring taxes. And the third thing it does is its performance can be tied to a stock market index so that when the market index does well, you do well. But when the market does poorly, well, your principal is always guaranteed. And then fourth and finally, it can, doesn't have to, but it can be set up to guarantee your income for life. So Eric, those four ideas, how do those sound to you as an investor? It almost sounds too good to be true. 
Well, it's not too good to be true, but it is very appealing. And there are things that people just don't know about that are quite possible in the investing world. And that is our job on the truth about taxes and retirement to bring some of these ideas to light. You know, people often say when I'm talking to them about reducing income taxes, well, that's too good to be true. Well, you can't do it. Well, if where you- have you been? Where have you been for the last 20 years? Well, that's the other thing that they will say sometimes. But uh, the point is, there's a lot to be learned out there that people just don't know about if they will focus and pay attention and take an opportunity like this one to learn today. So, Eric, you'll remember that we've built up to this broadcast by talking about how to think about your money as if it were all in one big bucket. Yep. And that bucket could have holes in it that would leak out your profits, could even leak out the original money you put in the bucket. And those holes were taxes, fees, market risk, and healthcare costs. You remember that? Yep. Now, you remember we had something over the top of the bucket. The faucet. The faucet was over the top of the bucket. And that's how you fill the bucket is with the faucet. And the faucet represents all the different kinds of investments that we might use. Now, specifically, we divided those into two categories. Number one, investments with risk. And then investments that have lower volatility and less risk of principal loss. So we've got one bucket that's the risky bucket and one bucket that's the not so risky bucket. And what we've said is that 10% of your portfolio or less should be in the risky bucket and that the other 90% should be in the lower risk, low volatility kind of bucket. And traditionally, that bucket's been where we've had uh, bonds or in some sort or some form or another, because those are one of the flight to safety kinds of investments that many people are familiar with. Now, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to learn about an often misunderstood, frequently maligned investment tool that can be a part of that lower 90% risk portion of your portfolio, not all, but a portion of that lower volatility bucket. And that investment tool is called an annuity. Have you heard of an annuity before? Oh, yes. Well, I thought you had because you're in the investment business, but there are a lot of people who haven't heard of them. In fact, I had a client down in Arkansas one time who used to call me every once in a while to talk about his annuity, but he couldn't say the word annuity. He would call them annuities. So he always wanted to talk about his annuity. So, you know, in the business world, you have to learn a whole new language. And I'm pretty sure yeah. if I took that over to the MBA program at the university, they wouldn't know what annuities were. We, I, have another, I have a similar situation in the legislature. It's, it's really funny because you've got fiscal oversight as a committee, but there are many, and mostly from rural parts of the state, who will call them physical. They use, instead of the word fiscal, they 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 add a, an I somewhere in, the, in that name. Well, so. if you aren't careful, that could make you go nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just a little tribute there to President Bush. The word annuity sometimes alarms or annoys people. And if that's so, I think it's because they really don't know about annuities or understand how they work. They may have some knowledge and that particular piece of information may be negative. But the fact is, annuities are just simply tools. They're tools for investors. They're neither good nor bad. They're just a tool. And if you use them properly, they can be very helpful. And so let's dive in and begin understanding what an annuity is and how you might use an annuity most effectively. First of all, an annuity is simply an investment contract with an insurance company. Here are some comparisons that might help you to understand it better. If you had money that you invested with a bank, they issue you a certificate of deposit. That is an investment contract with a bank. If you loaned your money to a big corporation, 
like Walmart, for example. Sometimes Walmart or other big corporations, they borrow money from investors to build new distribution centers or expand trucking operations or build new computer systems. When a big company borrows money from you, it's called a bond. And in a very similar way, when you loan your money to the local school, school district to build a building or to the county to build a jail or the state to build a road, that's a contract between you, the investor, and the school district or the county or the state. And that contract is called a bond. So if it's with a bank, it's called a certificate of a deposit. If it's with a corporation or a government entity of some type, it's usually referred to as a bond. But when you loan your money to an insurance company, the investment contract between you and the insurance company is called an annuity. And there are three different ways of investing that are essentially the same. They're interchangeable in terms of the level of risk for the most part. Um, so they're just all a part of that fixed income, lower volatility portion of your investment bucket. And really, which one of those you pursue would be dependent upon which one would probably give you the best return over time. Now, by definition, the word annuity actually technically means a series of regular payments over a specified period of time. So for example, when you take your social security, the government begins paying you a specified amount of money every month for the rest of your life. That's the period of time, the rest of your life. And that payment that you get from social security is an annuity. Teachers used to retire and they would be looking forward to their retirement because when they retired, they were going to begin to get their teacher's annuity. In fact, there was a company that specialized in managing these that was called the Teachers Insurance and Annuity Association. Uh, so annuity was a real popular word for teachers' retirement plans. Today, we just refer to them as teachers' as pensions. pensions yeah. yeah, that's the same idea. If you got injured, one of these lawyers, you know, it's got billboards all over town saying, call me and I'll help you sue whoever for whatever. Well, if you got injured and you won a big lawsuit from a major corporation for your injury, and that big corporation, then it's liable for the injury. They would turn over a lump sum of money of principal to the insurance company, to an insurance company. And every month that insurance company would be responsible for sending you out the check. And so that check you get for the damage that was done to you is actually an annuity. So you see, Eric, an annuity is a regular yeah. series or a series rather of regular payments over a specific period of time. Yeah, you'd think that many people would assume that annuities just send you a check each month. Well, certainly when I first start talking with people about annuities, that's one of the things that they think we're going to be talking about is a check each month. But that's actually only one type of an annuity. And this leads us to understand that for investment purposes, there are really two types of annuities to consider. One is called an immediate annuity, and that's kind of what you were referring to. And the other is called a deferred annuity. Now, an immediate annuity is one into which you deposit a sum of money and it starts paying you a specific amount of income every month for your entire life or maybe for a certain period of years, 10 years or 20 years or something like that. But that's an immediate annuity. You're exchanging a lump sum of money for a guaranteed check to come to you every month for a certain period of time. Now, a deferred annuity is very different than that. It's actually an investment account with an insurance company, and you don't start taking money out of it right away. In fact, you can defer your withdrawals until some undetermined date into the future, which could be a few years or even a few decades. 
in 26 years of practice, I can only think of two times that I have ever used an immediate annuity to start getting immediate income for a client. Every other one of the probably a thousand or more annuity contracts that I've helped clients establish with insurance companies were actually deferred annuities where we were just using the annuity as an investment account until sometime far out into the future. And when that time comes, we won't most likely start taking regular payments from the annuity. See, when that time comes, what you could do is you could sign all of that money over to the insurance company in exchange for a guaranteed check for the rest of your life. And that would be called annuitization. But we don't usually do that because we don't find that in most cases it works in the benefit of the investor. Instead, what we do is we just make withdrawals out of the annuity account, just like we would from a bank account or a brokerage account or a mutual fund account. So the big thing here to understand is that just because it's with an insurance company doesn't mean that you have to take a stream of income. You can treat that account like any other investment account and make withdrawals of some or all of the money at some point in the future. I kind of, I kind of like to think about an annuity as a big tank of water with a valve on the side of it. And you can just turn the knob and open the valve a little bit and then shut it off. Or you can open it and let it drip out slowly over a long period of time. Or you can open it wide open and let everything flood out all at once. Getting money out of an annuity works in exactly the same way. Well, if you've got that all that money sitting in there, it's important to understand what is that money doing while it's in that account? Is it earning interest? Well, obviously, if it's not earning interest, you ought to put it under your mattress, don't you think? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think your mattress is a very good place to keep not your Not very money. safe. That's not a very safe money. That's a very safe place if your house burns down or if the rats eat up your mattress, but that wouldn't be a pleasant thing to consider, so we won't go there. So I think what you were alluding to is, so if my money's in an annuity, how is my money going to earn interest? Uh, and the answer to that question is that that depends, the earnings depend on which of three types of investments are used with inside your annuity. You see, there are, are three types of investments. So those are fixed, variable, or indexed. And so let's unpack and talk about those three. You good with that? That sounds great. All right. First of all, fixed annuities. Those are the simplest. This is where you put an amount of money into the contract and the insurance company agrees to pay you interest for a certain period of time. Let's say it's 3% for three years. So that'd be similar to a coupon on a bond. Yeah, same idea, same idea. This type of annuity is sometimes in the trade called a CD type annuity because it works so similarly to a certificate of deposit that you might get at a bank, 3% interest annually for three years. And boy, wouldn't that be a great CD rate for today? Right now, yeah. Yeah, right now, that'd be a fantastic rate. But here's the key difference. A CD at a bank is guaranteed by the FDIC. An annuity is not FDIC guaranteed. Instead, an annuity is backed up by the full faith and credit of the insurance company. And we'll talk about that maybe in a few minutes if we have time here in the podcast to talk about whether, uh, you know, how that safety really works. So the first type of an annuity that you can have, the first earning mechanism that you can have is just a guaranteed rate of interest for a specific period of time. That's called a fixed annuity. Now, the second type of annuity that you can use is called a variable annuity. And a way to think about this is that it's an investment contract with an insurance company, but instead of paying a predetermined rate of interest, the money will instead be invested in a sub-account, that's the technical term for it, 
Uh, most people just view it as being invested in a mutual fund because often the investment manager is also managing a mutual fund. And sometimes the mutual fund has the same name as the sub account with inside the annuity. So the return that you get on this particular type of annuity will be whatever the manager can produce that year, whether they were managing it in a mutual fund or managing it inside the annuity. It may be high or it may be low or it might lose money or it might make money, but your return will probably be very similar to the mutual fund. So you're engaging a little bit of risk here. There is risk in this. Yes. These are built so that if the market goes down, you lose money. And if the market goes up, you make money. And they've got, some of them have some bells and whistles that you can attach to them. Of course, always for an extra fee that will guarantee that you won't lose money on these kinds of things. But in their most natural state, you can lose money on this type of an annuity. So there's one other kind of option, a third type of an annuity. And I'm just going to tell you up front, this is the one I prefer. This is the one that I like to use. We don't use variable annuities in our practice. We don't use fixed annuities only because interest rates are so low that there's just not any money to be earned on those. Yeah, with the variable, it's hard to imagine the type of individuals that would be seeking even the variable, right? Because you've because you're engaging risk, and typically annuities are a product where you're you're trying to find it's it's typically the safer or less risk type. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a conflict mentally there because uh, people who like annuities tend to like uh, guarantees in their money. So if you like guarantees in your money, why would you then expose it to the risks that are associated with the variable markets? So the, so the third is the indexed annuity. An, an indexed annuity is kind of a hybrid between a fixed annuity and a variable annuity. And the way your interest or your earnings are calculated on an indexed annuity will be based on what index the annuity follows. Let's say it's following the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average. You'll get a percentage of whatever index the annuity is following with a guarantee that in bad years, the worst you'll do is zero. So when everything falls apart and everybody else loses 20 or 30 or 40%, your annuity will come up with a great big zero. And that leads me to say, zero is your hero. That's exactly right. <laughs> because when everybody else is losing money and the, you just come up with zero, you're the guy who's at the top of the heap. Yeah. Which I'm, you know, in years, which getting that zero might seem bad when you've got, when you have your people that, you know, that have lost 40% of their accounts and as we've talked about in previous podcasts, it can take years to recover from some of those some of those years like we've had in 2000 and 2009. So, you know, when we had the Great Recession, it took many years to for people to dig back out of that of those losses. Typically, it takes about six years to recover from a bear market to correct from a bear market. And so if you get zero, you don't have to correct. What you have to do is just wait until the markets take off again. And when the markets start growing again, well, you get to start from zero instead of starting from a negative 30 or a negative 40 or that, whatever. That sounds nice. So the way these work is, let's say that you're uh, attached to a specific index. Let's assume it's the S&P 500. Then you might get 60 or 70 or 80 or even 90% of the performance of that index in a good year when the market is moving money. And that'll be a contractual issue. It'll be uh, recorded in the contract how much of the market that you're going to get. And then in a bad year, when the market loses money, instead of losing, you just get a zero. So let's go through a little simple math. 
to understand how that might work. Imagine that you invested $100 in an indexed annuity. The first year, the index earns 10%. And let's just say that you're getting 100% of the 10% so that we keep the math easy. That means at the end of the first year, you're going to have $110 in your account. How are we doing? Was that math slow enough for you? Sounds good. Okay, I just wanted to be sure. Now, the next year, this is year two, the market earns another 10%. So you've got $110 earning 10%. Now, at the end of that next year, you're going to earn $11. So now your account is worth $121. And let's say that the third year is when the market loses 30%. If the market loses 30%, what's going to happen to your account? So if you're in, an, if you're in this type of annuity, then you would lose nothing. You lose zero. That's exactly right. You won't lose anything. So at the end of that year, you'll have $121, just like you did the year before. Whereas anyone who had their money invested purely in the market would have lost 30%, which would have been something in the neighborhood of um, 30 three, about 36% of the total value of their account would have gone away. So they'd be back down to about 70 to $75,000 while you still got $121,000 or $121 in this analogy uh, in your account. So um, the fact that you didn't earn anything, but you also didn't lose anything is what makes this so powerful. While everybody else is losing in the stock market, your accounts aren't losing. You just don't earn. And that is why zero is your hero. And then the following year, your position positioned for the next few years of potential gains and so, opportunities. You just, it's just it, the way these are structured you wouldn't fully participate. You would participate at, as you said before, 80, 70, 80, 90% of those, those potential upsides. However the contract is set up, that's exactly right. So now there's something else that people like about annuities. What do you think that might be? Yeah, let's talk about taxes because yeah. that's very important. Well, if you don't get the taxes right, you don't get anything right. Nothing else matters. Now, you know, I'm a big advocate of no taxes at all, avoiding all the tax, getting the tax paid and out of your system. I love that. If we can't do that though, the next best thing may be deferring the tax out to some distant point in the future. And one of the reasons that people like annuities so much is that annuities are tax deferred. That means that you don't pay any taxes on the money that you're earning until you take the money out of your account. And this is one reason that people like them so much because the taxes don't have to be paid immediately. So it, in some ways, it's somewhat like an IRA. Well, an IRA is also a deferred vehicle. So yes, just like IRAs defer taxes until some later date, an annuity will defer taxes on your earnings until some later date as well. But there's a downside that's really important for you to understand. When you pay the taxes eventually on the money earned in an annuity, you will pay that tax as ordinary income tax instead of as capital gains taxes. See, if you'd made this investment in a mutual fund account or in a stock account and it went up, you would, you would pay a capital gains tax, which is typically lower than ordinary income tax. In the ordinary income tax scenario, you might pay 22 or 24, 32, 35, or even 37% plus whatever your state charges. Uh, that's the ordinary income tax. But if you were paying a capital gain, instead, it would be either 0, 15%, or 20%. So that's one of the downsides to deferring the taxes until later. So how long do people typically have these contracts? Well, I've seen annuity contracts that are as short as one year and as long as 18 years. 
I often use a 12-year contract because we get some really sweet deals from the insurance company for uh, committing to stay in for a 12-year period of time. But for many people, even that seems like a really, really long time. You know, people have been trained by the banks to only invest six months or 12 months, one year at a time. So when you talk to them about, here's an investment vehicle that's an eight-year or a 10-year or a 12-year vehicle, it kind of shocks them. And one of the responses I've heard from them is, my goodness, son, I don't even buy green bananas. (laughs) <laughs> obviously the, the point being there's not enough time for the green banana to ripen uh, right. before they think they'll die. And that's not really the way to look at your money. We divide the money up into several different categories and we'll have some one-year money that we're going to spend in one year, but obviously not all the money is going to be spent in the first year or two or five or seven years. There is some money that will be longer, longer term money. And sometimes we use the annuity for that longer term money and, that slice of the pie, we can make a 12-year commitment because the insurance company is willing to give us a much better deal if we'll make right. that long-term Be- kind Because of you're too. leveraging time and you're leveraging the uh, what, what may happen. And right? the insurance company can do more right. if they've got the money for a 12-year period of time than if they just have it for a one-year period of time. I mean, if you think about one year, all they can do is kind of what you can do, which is go buy a CD with it. Right. No interest rates. But over longer periods of time, they can use the money for more effective things. So so what about the safety? We talked about that or alluded to that earlier. What, you know, if they aren't FDIC insured, what is the, are these safe in vehicles? Well, that's a great question. How do you define safety is the first question that comes to mind. Yeah. Now, most people, when they talk about safety, what they mean is, will I get my money back? They're talking about principal safety, but there is another risk besides risk of principal. And that is actually risk of buying power. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you have an annuity that is paying or a CD or whatever it is, that's paying 2% interest. So this year you get your 2% interest. Now you're going to have to pay tax on that, right? And to make it simple, let's just say the tax is 25%. So if you got 2% interest and you have to pay 25% of that in tax, you're going to have one and a half percent left after you paid your taxes, right? Right. Now let's assume that int- or, um, inflation rates are at historic levels and the historic inflation rate is 3%. So you earned one and a half percent on your money yeah. and the inflation rate was 3%. Right. So your money didn't even keep up with, with inflation. inflation. Yeah. Do you think that's risk? That's, that's a good point. It's called buying power or purchasing power risk. So I just want to point out that when we're talking about safety, there are different kinds of risk. There's principal risk and there's purchasing power risk. And most people don't think about both of those kinds of risks. That's a good point. Yeah. Now, for our purposes, though, the, the question I think that's being asked is simply, um, what are the chances I'm going to get my money back? How safe is my principal? And that's one of the reasons that people like to invest in banks, because banks are considered safe. Now, here's an interesting little fact. According to the Cleveland Federal Reserve, during the Great Recession, over 500 individual banks in the United States failed. 500 bank failures. And during the same period of time, only 14 insurance companies failed. So which is safest, a bank or an insurance company? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great statistic to keep in mind. And here's, here's the thing. Well, the banks failed, but the, what they'll say is, well, but the FDIC stepped in and made whole on the banks. So that makes the bank safer. Well, did you know? That there's a limit to what they will insure. There is a limit. First of all, the FDIC will only cover $250,000. 
So if you've got 300,000 in the bank, the bank fails, the FDIC is only obligated to make good on 250,000. Now, my understanding is that they've always wound up making good on the full amounts that anyone had in the banks, but there's no obligation for them right. to do that. You just reminded me, we have clients that have over 500,000 in the banks and and uh, it's something that we should be reminding them of that 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 they are limited. Right? That's an important feature. That's exactly right. Um, when it comes to annuity companies, here's the thing. I said there were 14 of them that that failed, um, but almost all of those, if you read the list, it would be companies that you have never heard of before. It would be like State Mutual of Pennsylvania or, you know, some obscure name. If you drive down the roads in Southern Missouri, where we live, in every little town of a few hundred people, you'll see on one of the corners, a little insurance company that has the name of that town on it. I'm thinking of one town down in Lawrence County, only a couple hundred people in it, but that town has an insurance company named after the town. And I happen to know that because the, the uh, chief executive officer of the insurance company happens to be a client of ours. But uh, the, the point is that there are a lot of insurance companies you've never heard of. And those 14 that failed were companies that you'd never heard of. The big name companies that you have heard of different didn't fail. And here's the thing to realize, even if an insurance company fails, just like the banks have a system through the FDIC to be taken over by the federal government, oh yes, the insurance companies have a similar system operating on a state level. And each mm -hmm. state has an insurance fund that if one of the insurance companies in that state goes insolvent, the insurance fund will step in and make up the insolvency. And guess what the limit on that is, Eric? How many well, in Missouri, it's 250000 which is the same as the FDIC. You know, since station. you're a state senator, it's really good that you knew that was $250,000. <laughs> We're going to give you some applause well, for that. And I can say, too, that the state, each state, and I know our state, has a very robust department of insurance mm -hmm. who's, who's chief responsibility is to audit these insurance companies and make sure that they are solvent, that they do have the fiscal assets. That's exactly right. Place. And, you know, I made a call here a couple of years ago to the, um, the association that handles this insurance pool for insurance companies uh, up in Jefferson city, because I just wanted to be sure I understood how that pool worked and what the story was of the pool. And, and so I talked with the guy who runs it and he said that at no time in his memory had the fund ever been taxed, ever had anyone try to make demands on it during all the time that he knew of. He couldn't even tell me the last time that an insurance company in Missouri failed and had to make a withdrawal on this fund. So his whole point was, we've got it for safety's sake, but we've never really had to use it. And so that's a pretty good sign for investors, at least in our state. And I'm going to guess in most states, that would be similar, but perhaps not in Illinois or California, but in most of our Midwestern states, that would be similar. So with all the, the benefits and about annuities and all of the, everything we've described, why do you think it is that some people still, that there's a culture or a view that that, for, that some people might have that there's they have negative perceptions about annuities. So, um, well, Eric, I like to answer that question by uh, comparing it to something totally different. Uh, all over the news, there are little uh, stories and uh, TV commercials talking about how narcotics are bad. And, you know, if you've ever had a child overdose or maybe you have a family member who's an addict, well, then you could have a perception that narcotics are a bad thing. Right. But if you've ever had a pain that was really, 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 really bad, 
you know that narcotics were your best friend. Thank you very much, God, for inventing narcotics, because it was wonderful to have that pain relieved while they get whatever the problem is fixed. Annuities are kind of like narcotics. If you use them in the wrong place for the wrong purpose and the wrong reason, they create a mess, and I wouldn't blame you for hating them. But if you use them in the right place for the right purpose to achieve the right result, then annuities are your friend and they're very helpful yeah, to you. That's a good analogy. I've heard another one where, you know, you think of a hypodermic needle. Yeah. Uh, it can be used by a drug addict in a, in a very negative way, right? Or it can be used by a diabetic in a life-saving way. Right. It just, it's the, it's a tool and it's, how are you using this tool? Well, you know, being who you are, there's another tool that works that way too. We could talk about guns right. because guns can be a very bad thing or guns can be a very good thing. It's just a tool all in how you use it. Now, when it comes to annuities, I use them for my parents. They have annuities. I use them. I used them for my grandmother. She just died three years ago at 94. I use them for my mother-in-law today, who lives in an apartment, by the way, not but about 300 feet from our broadcast studio at this moment. In fact, I've tried to invest in an annuity myself, but I couldn't because the type of an account that I had my money in uh, wasn't an account that would allow for an annuity in it. But the obvious message that I want you to get here is that I think annuities are a fine tool in the right situation. And the reason people don't like them is because they don't understand them. And the reason they don't understand them is they haven't been properly explained. Now, we have a, a philosophy that says insurance products, whether it's annuities or life insurance, are sold, they're not bought. You know, nobody walks through the door saying, I'd really like to have another insurance product. That's just not something that people have on their mind most of the time. So they have to be carefully explained. And, and what happens is some people own annuities that they don't understand that maybe they felt like after it was over, they got rushed to buy. They didn't have time to think through. They didn't have time to get a full explanation and annuities sometimes have high commissions associated with them to the agents. And so that has a little sense of an incentive to get the sale and move on and maybe not to quite so carefully explain all of the additional provisions like the surrender provisions that we just mentioned a few moments ago. And it leads me to make a joke. Have you ever bought an annuity? And then your agent went into the witness protection program. And that's good. Because a lot of times these guys disappear, guys and gals, and, and the client can't find them. And it's three years later, and they have a question, they go to take some money out. And the insurance company says, well, now there'll be a penalty for taking that much money out. And the client says, well, I didn't know that. And it's been three years. There's no way to undo the deal. They can't find the agent. And it wasn't taught to them carefully. Yeah. And I think there, there are some that they're only in that industry. And so if you are only selling annuities, you see people as a sale and then you move on because you can't, they won't be able to continue to sell people an annuity after an annuity. It, right. And so that person typically doesn't see the client as, as a long-term relationship. Well, and they're not dealing with them on a holistic level. Exactly. And so, you know, we use an annuity in our practice where it's appropriate, but we don't use it where it's not appropriate because we're looking at the entire life, the financial life of that client and asking, is this the medicine that will best heal yeah. this particular yeah. hurt? What's, what's best for the whole patient, the patient as a whole. That's exactly the whole point. So Eric, 
the thing that I really want to hammer home, the point that I want to make is that an annuity can be a great tool for the right situation where you need guaranteed income or principal protection. And if you're wondering whether the annuity you have fits and whether it's something that you should have, or if you're wondering whether an annuity ought to be added to your particular situation, that's one of the things that we help people with. We're not really interested in whether or not you do or don't invest in an annuity. What we do is we look at a person's entire retirement design and help them figure out, do they have enough money to run their cash flow every year from the beginning of retirement all the way to death? And we usually run them out to age 100, just in case they live that long. Make sure they've got enough income for that entire time, enough assets to feed and sustain them through that time. And then we try to determine what vehicles will be the best vehicles for them to use. And does an annuity fit into that overall picture? And if it does, then how much and what type of an annuity? And then all of this is in the context of making sure that they're paying the least amount of taxes possible. Because the simple fact is, whether you buy an annuity or don't buy an annuity, whether you invest in all these different things, doesn't really matter because you could get all of those things right and still be messed over if you don't get the taxes right. Because if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. And that's what we help people to do at our company, which is savingyoutaxes.com and our website, which is savingyoutaxes.com. Kind of convenient how those two names go together, (laughs) isn't it? That's great. We'd love to have you reach out to us through the website, savingyoutaxes.com. You can call us from there or you can email us and we will help you in any way that we possibly can. And that is Jay Barry Watts and Eric Burleson, hosts of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. To know when new episodes of the podcast are available, just subscribe with the subscribe button. And of course, you can share with the share button. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.